Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special Orphan Black Roundtable. My name is Kevin Batchelder. Some of you are familiar with me from my work on the Tuning It to Sci-Fi TV podcast. But you're not listening for me, because today we have several Orphan Black podcasters together, and we're going to go geeking about the show that we love. Now, first off, before I introduce folks, this will be a spoiler-free discussion. We do have some nice stuff coming at some point later, but don't worry. We're not going to spoil you on anything coming up, so... You can rest assured you don't have to run for your pause button. So let's uh, get some voices in here and give you folks a chance to get to know everybody. And let's go ladies first. Chris. Uh, my name is Chris, and I co-host Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. Big surprise, I know. <laughs> awesome. All right. How about you? How about, let's go over to Mark. Hey, Kevin. Um, I'm Mark from Solo Talk Media, and I uh, do the Orphan Black podcast. Outstanding. All right. And we have a couple more folks together from the same podcast, so I'm going to let you guys fight and see who wants to go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm Kyle, uh, and we are from, and my other person, I'll let him introduce himself later, is uh, <laughs> we're from Orphan Black Chat, a Orphan, Orphan Black. Black podcast, like the rest of us. Just like everybody. Yep. And that's Ben that you hear. That's me. I'm Ben. There we go. <laughs> All right, I just want to give folks a chance to recognize some voices before we all kind of get going. And if you maybe are only aware of one of these podcasts, great. You've now got a lot more to listen to. And near the end of the podcast, we'll share some links to where you can find these other great shows, too. So along with this introduction, you can always go deep geeking for the whole rest of season two. But uh, before we get to season two, we do have to start with the origin of the show. And that's certainly season one so maybe let's start first and talk about the question all of us as fans love to ask a fellow fan and that's how you got hooked on the show you know were you someone who stumbled in the very beginning dvds binge whatever it might have been so let's start with that and uh mark maybe you can tell us where you started there sure um i first uh, i'm up in canada so i first saw uh commercials for orphan black before it actually aired on space channel here in canada and i, I thought it's something that looked interesting and um, I was actually looking for a show to podcast about and uh, I had never podcasted before. Uh, I was trying to get into podcasting and I thought oh, this would be a good show so I decided to check out the first episode and it got as far as the scene where Beth jumped in front of the train and I knew I was hooked. So from that point on um, I was I was watching it week for week anticipating uh, trying to get as many people as I could to watch the show, but guys, at that, that time, nobody knew anything about it, and it was hard to uh, to entice people to watch it. But uh, um, And just a funny note, that's the show that got me into or, uh, to podcasting, but I didn't actually podcast about it until the entire season was over. I actually decided to do another podcast um, on another summer show, Under the Dome, that, got, that was my first podcast, but it's Orphan Black that actually made me decide to get into podcasting. So that's... Uh, my take. Cool. How about the rest of you? Who wants to jump in next? Well, I found Orphan Black. Uh, this is Kyle, in case you guys don't recognize me. I found Orphan Black. Um, first, there were ads before Doctor Who aired um, on BBC America. And so, like, I saw the ads. I'm like, oh, this sounds like a cool show. Like, I'll check it out later, eventually. Then I got really busy, and I never checked out the pilot. Um, I always was always there in time for Doctor Who, but for some reason, Orphan Black just always escaped me. And um, I don't know when, at some point in the summer, it was that I had uh, started watching Orphan Black before in, in June. Um, and so I was like, oh, the show did really well. Let me check this out again. And then I started it and I got hooked from the first episode. It was just crazy. It was insane. Um, and it blew my mind that some of the accents were not actual accents. And I was just like, what? Um, and I had the fortunate ability to interview the people from Orphan Black that year in at Comic-Con. So I'm just really happy that I got into Orphan Black in June and not like August. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of the same way. I saw the advertisements, but I never really got into it. This is Ben, by the way. Uh-huh. And I, so I saw them and I never, I was like, oh, that looks cool, but I never really got into it. And then I binge watched it over the summer, I think in like a weekend. And I, w I was instantly hooked too from the first episode because it just draws you right in so good uh this is chris i remember seeing the print ads and kind of thinking what the heck is this and then some people were recommending it like when it started and i remember i had intended to watch it and just completely forgotten i think i 
didn't really remember that I had BBC or something and it was on Saturday night and who remembers that anything new one is on TV on Saturday night. So I completely missed the first episode, but I remembered to catch the second episode. And the whole time I'm just kind of thinking, what the heck is going on? I have no idea, but I'm intrigued. So basically I just, I started with the second episode. Fortunately, within a week of that, they replayed the first episode and, you know, hooked because I, I think I watched episodes one, two, and three the next week. And of course, at the end of episode three, you're just kind of like, okay, this is something I have to watch next week. So that was pretty much it. And then the week to week torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, this this is definitely one where a lot of uh, friends and fans are getting each other into it. So it, it's been great to see the same thing happened at, at our podcast. We watch a lot of genre shows and I must confess, I did watch the first episode, was interested, but had a pretty full viewing schedule. So I kind of said, well, maybe I'll get back to it. But then my co-host, as well as several of our listeners, like, no, 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 you can't wait. You have to be watching this now. So appreciate the uh, community doing that there. So it's always great to, to get us all hooked together and, and uh, easier with the pain of waiting week to week. Although we usually have great stuff to talk about between episodes. That's one of the great things about this show. It's, it's so many possibilities of what it means. And that kind of leads into the next point I was curious to talk about with all of you obviously taking the time to do podcasts. I mean, what's the fandom been like? What's been your experience with the fandom, both on your podcast and just in general? The fandom um, is insane. It's in, it's absolutely insane. And what I've learned about the fandom is that it, it just, it's been growing. It's been snowballing. When it aired, it finished the season. And yeah, it had a lot of devoted fans, but it wasn't really until the summertime that... Um, things started picking up and it was like my experiences with the fandom is that I it blew my mind how big this fandom was on Tumblr for in in particular because in Comic-Con uh they had a panel and the panel was in one of the smallest rooms possible um I think it could hold like a hundred people maybe 150 it was very tiny and over like I think 500 or 600 people ended up showing up in line to for that panel and so they're like, okay, next year we're going to have a bigger room. So the fandom is great. And everyone is really nice. So there's so many people who make really great artsy stuff on Tumblr. And it's just, it's the best. Yeah, Orphan Black fans are really nice. They're all, it's a very tight-knit community. And I think it's very Tumblr-based, too. Because a lot of our interaction with our listeners is through Tumblr. I think more than any other social network. So, Yeah, we're actually based on Tumblr. Like, our main site is is through Tumblr. because when we were setting it up, it's like, well, that's where the fandom is anyway. We might as well just base our stuff there. So yeah, it's been a really, it's a, it's a really dedicated, devoted, obsessive fandom. And I mean that in the best way. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now I'm, I'm not on Tumblr. So uh, you guys are giving me something. I got to go check this out because uh, I, I've seen Tumblr and that, but I'm not involved with it in any bit. Um, I communicate with everybody on Twitter and tons and tons of people um, just asking me stuff about uh, Orphan Black. And, and it's amazing how when the show first started, um, it was a hit, but it was, a, you can't really call it a sleeper hit because it was successful right from the start. But it, then it just snowballed after the season was over and they started, uh, I know at least here in Canada, once like for the finale uh, of season one, they actually did a, a day-long marathon for anybody who hadn't seen it. And they said that on space, that was one of the days that they had the most viewings. Where It started, I think, at noon, where they started with episode one and played the entire season all day long until the finale. And um, the, it was a record-setting day for Space Channel in Canada. And then since then, it's just more and more people are hearing about it and catching on. And uh, you're constantly hearing about people online saying, oh, my God, I just I just started it. And this is amazing. I just watched episode one or or I just finished the series. I can't believe I missed this when it was on. So uh, and, and just look, we just this past Saturday, they had that show, uh, The Cloneversation on BBC America, which I was able to get a hold of. They didn't play it here in Canada. I was really upset, but I was able to, to watch it online. Um, what other type of show does that sort of stuff before season two? Uh, it's just amazing how this show has grown to what it is. Yeah, it's been great watching um, them do such a good job of promoting season two. I know some of us uh, have grabbed a bunch of the DVD sets. I know Amazon uh, here in the U.S. has had it pretty inexpensive, like $15. So we got a couple 
available for uh, giving to friends. It's I, I think a lot of us that have been in for a while are going to be getting a, a lot more friends going, what is this Orphan Black thing? So have your DVD sets uh, handy to give away and, and uh, loan out. Yeah, I watched sure. the series like four times in a row because I introduced it to four different people. <laughs> <laughs> I have also done that, yes. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. It's super to be able to do that with folks and, uh, as we say, get them totally hooked. And it doesn't take much. All you have to do is, is show them the first episode and yep. that's it. Then everybody, I don't know anybody uh, personally that has watched the first episode and has not continued on to watch the entire series. I know one person and she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not even just like the first episode, but like the first 10 minutes of the episode had me hooked. I think it's it's definitely one of the strongest introductions to a pilot episode that I've seen. For sure. I had, I had to convince my dad to keep watching it because he saw the first episode and he was kind of iffy about the whole thing. He's like, well, everybody's doing such awful things. <laughs> I'm like, just just keep watching it. By the end of the third episode, you're going to demand we continue watching it. And he did. Yes, they do a good job, certainly, of reeling us in on this one. There's no doubt about that. The mystery side and, and the wonderful performances from the whole cast and certainly, you know, Tatiana as well there. So if we start talking a little bit about some of the characters, obviously we could go on and on about uh, Tatiana's work there. But if we step back for uh, a second and kind of look at the clones, and we know there are many there. Uh, do any of you kind of think, is there original one that they're all based on? Uh, you know, is that, uh, you know, are we going to find out that? Or where do you think that maybe kind of came from as it uh, kind of came to play in season one? Ben, do you want to jump on that one? Definitely. Um, throughout season one, I was thinking, I was trying to figure out who the original was throughout the whole season when I was watching it. But I think that it's not necessarily... Like, obviously, it's important. If, like, if there's an original, like, obviously, that's going to be important. But I think that season two is not going to be, like, it's not, we're not going to be focusing on who the original is. I think we're going to be focusing more on other character development. And I think that that could come into play maybe season three or four. I don't think in season two we're really going to hear much about who the original is, at least not as much as we did in season one. But I don't know. Actually, I don't think, um, I think there must be an original um, because I think the whole thing is, uh, the dyad with Dr. Leakey, he's always, his emphasis is on um, clones and a cloning experiment. And his emphasis isn't about like creating life and creating someone from scratch. And like, um, and so I think if he were really proud of like creating someone and then multiplying that person and like, because if there was no clone, then he'd have to like, if there was no original, he'd have to actually create that person from scratch. And that, would be this thing he would be most proud of is actually doing that instead of being like, oh, I have clones. Like he'd be like, no, I like I made you all up from scratch. Right. And so I think that there has to be an original, and I don't think we've met the original. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you think it's someone we've already seen? Or you no, think I be believe that I believe that the the original. Um, first of all, it, I don't think that it would be Sarah because like I feel like they'd have eyes on the original basis for this clone. Like from the very beginning, like they would not let her out of her sight. So I think the original is delved somewhere inside the Dyad Institute somewhere. See, I disagree with you. I I still think that Sarah and Helena are the originals, and uh, I've been saying that in my podcast since since day one. Um, because for one, Sarah was able to give birth, and we know that the clones cannot. We know that uh, Allison couldn't give birth, and we know that Beth wasn't able to give birth. And uh, Sarah was, but I, I keep saying that Sarah and again, Helena um, were the control subjects. So they took, they cloned the, whatever, an embryo and, and implanted different women. And um, I think that what happened was Amelia, who was implanted with an embryo who ended up splitting into twins. She ended up giving the, the control subject with knowing or not knowing uh, away. And that's why when Dr. Leakey, or when they did the blood work, they were able to tell that it wasn't Beth, but they weren't able to tell who it was. And I just seem if Sarah was a clone, she would have had that barcode gene and they would have known who she was right away. So I don't know. I, that's my theory that I'm sticking with. I could be way out there and totally wrong, but that's been my thought since day one. So Chris? That makes sense. But the part of me that is a huge X-Files fan is constantly wondering if they're just throwing us red herrings about things. I'm I'm always sort of trying to debate the 
the veracity of the things we're hearing. Because I think we only hear about the idea of the original from Helena, right? It's true. Yeah. So who knows whether or not that's actually a thing or whether that's just a line that Tomas fed her to get her to do his bidding. I don't know, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, it, but it sure is fun to think about. Yes. <laughs> it is. Well, I have, to, I have to say, like, uh, with your your point, Mark, about um, Sarah being the original, and I think that makes sense in most of the ways that you've explained it. But the one way it doesn't make sense is Kira. And I know Kira, like, was our next point, and I don't mean to, like, jump ahead too much, but I feel like if Sarah was the original, I feel like Kira would not be as special as she is. And I feel like Kira is only special because she's the outcome of an original, um, of, of a clone, rather. And I feel like, because if it's just a normal person having a normal baby because she's normal, she can have babies, then there's no reason why Kira would be in any way different than any other person that's had a baby that has their had that's had their DNA cloned. You know, I feel like unless they've done experiments on Sarah as she was a kid or an embryo or something, then there wouldn't be any reason for Kira to be special. And that's why I don't think she's a clone. That's possible. But then the question I have is, is Kira special? We hear about, you know, Kira's special and they said she survived that accident. It was a miracle and all that. But Felix had a point. Kids do bounce. Uh, you know, there's in an accident, a kid has a lot more chance or a child has a lot more chance to survive or something than an adult. Is it possible that there's nothing special about Kira, that we've just been led to believe that? And um, it's also poss possible that the Dyad Institute doesn't know whether or not uh, Sarah is an original or not. I don't know. This is just speculation. I'm throwing this stuff out, but who knows? <laughs> well, we actually had a guest on, on an episode of our podcast, and uh, her name is Sally. Sally was speculating that because we've also seen Helena be extremely resilient in the face of extreme bodily injury that maybe part of the goal of all this cloning experimentation is to essentially get closer to immortality to prevent cell death that sort of thing so like regrowth and like the lizard whole the whole lizard thing that someone had said in season one at some point that Kira's yeah. not a lizard kinda yeah okay I totally see that I can totally see that yeah that could work it's very interesting. I mean, it's because we haven't seen any of the other clones get ridiculously injured. Um, we've seen, uh, we know Beth had a scar from an accident, but um, how fast that scar healed or anything, we we don't know. So that's that's a good point. We haven't seen, except for the respiratory disease um, with Kasima, but I feel like that's a completely different thing. Right, but I mean, this could even be that Sarah and Helena are special in that sense mm -hmm. among the clones. What if um, Kosima with? Have you guys seen the movie Unbreakable? Yes. Um, <laughs> what if you have Kosima with her respiratory disease, and then you have Kira, who's sort of like the polar opposite of that, who can heal? Um, what if it's sort of like? I know it's a sort of a tough comparison, but what if Kosima is weakening and she like she's weak, but then Kira is sort of the polar opposite of that. And so it's sort of like another aspect of the scientific process they have going in the Institute. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Sort of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just thought of that. So Kira might hold the cure to, uh, to all that ails the clones. Oh, that would be interesting. That might be why they want to get their hands on her. Maybe. Yeah. That whole aspect of being the next generation, that creates some great ripple effect back to the first. And that's the interesting side, as you're all mentioning there, because we're wondering, and as uh, Chris mentioned too, again, is that the tip of the iceberg, or is that one of those red herrings that we're waiting to find out as we get a, you know, further movement there in the story? Now, one thing I'd like to hear the opinions on too myself, because I've often wondered this, kind of talking about the family side of it, if you will, with Carrie, is what about Mrs. S? Uh, what do folks think as far as, is she part of this, or just coincidentally there as support? You know, what do you folks think there, uh, Mark? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, you know that she's been there for Sarah and, uh, well, and Felix as well and Kira, uh, for a long time. She said, well, Sarah was a baby when she was brought to her, but Amelia, uh, both of them, Amelia told Sarah that, or who she thought was Sarah. She actually told Helena not to trust Mrs. S. And then Mrs. S was telling Sarah not to trust Amelia. 
So I wonder if Mrs. S and Amelia somehow knew each other, but were keeping things from Sarah. But the, the whole fact on whether or not she was involved, was she just involved to the point that she told Sarah and maybe knew a little bit more and she's still holding stuff back? Or was she actually involved with the experiments and the clones from the beginning? Is it, I, I don't have a clue. Um, it, it's something to speculate that that photo that Amelia had, is that Mrs. S in the photo? It was hard to tell. It was a photo. It is from, not. It I, is, oh, so I don't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. Um, but Ben and I had studied that photo in scrupulously and it, we've decided that it is not Mrs. S in that photo. It's a completely different woman. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. See, see, I looked at it and I figured 1977, it's possible it could have been, but I didn't study the photo uh, very intensely. I think we're meant to think that it could be Mrs. S, but I don't think it is her. Yeah, it's just the whole part with Amelia telling um, who's Helena, who she thought was Sarah at the time, telling her you can't trust Mrs. S. So, what does uh, Amelia know that uh, she wasn't able to tell because of her untimely death? Any other thoughts? Well, but then can we trust Amelia because she's been out of the picture for twenty-eight years? True, and, and I feel like. Um, like you're completely right. I think Amelia necessarily doesn't trust the Mrs. S if they've crossed paths. She doesn't trust the Mrs. S that she knew in the past, which, which doesn't mean, sorry, which doesn't mean that um, Mrs. S now isn't trustable, you know? Right. True. I mean, Mrs. Mrs. S, even if she was involved in the past or something, unless she was actually Sarah's monitor, if what she says is true, that she got a hold of Sarah and she basically raised her, she left she ran away and she's been raising her, uh, which could basically forgive her for anything she might have had in the past. Maybe she had a change of heart and she left and took Sarah with her. Um, that That's another option to the whole thing. I think she's definitely involved to some degree. I'm just not sure how deep her ties go with the Institute. Well, we do know that uh, in season two, through some interviews with her, she said that she does play a much bigger role than she did in season one. So we'll probably get some of those answers, hopefully in season two Mm -hmm. yes i suspect some answers and even more questions oh lots more questions (laughs) oh definitely (laughs) speaking of questions are we going to take a shot here on uh, speculation about who took kira a little bit there chris any thoughts uh i'm inclined to think that mrs s probably took her even although i've got to say that's mostly based on the fact that we're led to believe that rachel took them (laughs) so yeah, I don't know. Anything's possible, but I don't know. I guess we'll see, right? Ben and I, <laughs> yes, we will. Ben and I are going to be not silent during this question. Do you want to take this question? No, we're. I'm not. We're not going to make a comment on this question. Oh, I thought you said we weren't going no, to be silent. No, no, we are not. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I speculate. I, I like Chris. I think. I think Mrs. S. Uh, that would be from what we've seen. I think Mrs. S made it out of the house with Kira before whoever Rachel sent uh, got there. And um, that, that I think she's on the run and uh, it will be in hiding for part of uh, season two. But that's just my speculation. I don't know anything. So, I mean, yeah, Mrs. S had the shotgun and I certainly wouldn't want to mess with her. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, she seems like a tough lady. So, And, and for those of you wondering why uh, Ben and I, aren't saying anything we've we've seen a bit of season two already and so uh in the in the ahead of this discussion we'll talk a little bit but don't worry it's all going to be spoiler free promise like or like kevin said yeah interesting stuff absolutely now there's certainly been tons of great conversation uh, on your podcast and just in general about all of the great clone characters but i want to just take a little spin a little differently there and and see if some folks have some comments about what they see as maybe their most intriguing non-clone character on the show, certainly for season one. Mark, you want to take that one first? Sure. Um, the character I, I like Art. Um, I know he did some bad things or backhanded things uh, that we found out about him planting the gun on uh, or the cell phone on uh, on Maggie Chen and taking the uh, the the money out of uh, Sarah's trunk. But I just, I like his character. I like, uh, he, he's determined, uh, especially towards the end of the season when he starts, I mean, every question they get answered, he gets three more questions thrown at him and he, he's so involved and determined. And, uh, anyways, he's arts the character that I, I like watching 
Um, he's a he's gruff. Uh, he, he's he's not a too likable character, but I still like him. Um, and it, just as a side note, I like Angela, his partner, just for the fact that she loves the morgue so much, and I just find that hilarious how much she like brightens up every time they have to go down to the morgue. So, well, who doesn't love a good finger straightener? Yeah, exactly. yeah right. <laughs> I have to say, um, my favorite non clone character is probably going to be a common favorite, but it's a uh, Felix. He's just, he's fantastic. Um, the thing I like about Felix is not only is his character hysterical and amazing, it's um, the fact that we don't know anything about his background um, and his family and his growing up with Sarah. And I, I love that. I love the chance that we hopefully will get to explore that more in season two. And I know John um, Fawcett and Graham Mason have teased that we're going to get more Felix and, and he's going to be struggling more with Sarah in season two. So I'm really excited to see that character open up more than just Sarah's uh, brother or foster brother. Um, And he's just, he always has some great lines, some fantastic lines. And even though um, when I first saw him, I was like, Oh, who's this dude? Uh, As, as the episodes ran on, I came to love him. So he's my favorite. Yeah, he's sort of like the Styles. Uh, if anyone watches Teen Wolf, he's sort of like the Styles of the Orphan Black <laughs> <Yes>. fandom. <laughs> Excellent comparison, yes. I would definitely agree with Kyle on that. I think Felix is definitely a character that the fans can relate to. They love him, but there's also a lot of depth to him that hopefully we're going to see more of as Season 2 progresses. Oh, I love Felix too. And actually, I love all the supporting characters. It's It's quite an interesting cast of characters they've come up with. So yeah, Felix and and Delphine and um, Mrs. S, I think, is really the big one to me in terms of where I'm most the the character I'm most interested to see where they're going to go with them in season two. I think I've got the most questions about Mrs. S right now, so I'm interested in seeing where that's going to go. Excellent. Now talking. Sir- you know, oh, sorry. I'm go sorry. ahead. You, I was just going to say. Uh, does anyone here like Vic at all? Like, I feel like get, Vic doesn't have get any love. You know, in my podcast, every time he's been on the show, I've mentioned the podcast. I feel sorry for Vic. He's he's not a nice guy. He's not a likable guy. He he's a drug dealer. He's a, 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 a con artist. He's a cheat. But I just feel so bad for the guy because everything that we see happen to him is not his fault. Uh, the, the whole, he, he, the drugs, Sarah took off with, with the drugs. So he ends up losing uh, a finger because of what Sarah did. Then he mistakes Allison for Sarah. So when he goes over there, he ends up meeting Paul, gets the, the nail gun through the hand. Um, then when he, he meets Allison in the parking lot, she ends up macing him and hitting him <laughs> and, and all that because he thinks it's Sarah. So even though he's such an unlikable character, I can't help but feel sorry for the guy for everything he's going through. And he doesn't have a clue what's going on. Because he never finds out anything about the clones or all that. So, uh, yeah, I just, I feel sorry for the guy. I, I so enjoy it when Allison tasers him, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, it is kind of, uh, I can't help when I think of him like we're all talking, to just smile in the sense of, yes, you know, enjoying watching him go through so much pain. It's like the latest episode of Game of Thrones, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> And we'll let everybody infer into that without getting spoilery there either. <laughs> now, you know, certainly talking about Felix and the the way the show has done such a great job of portraying the characters. You know, Orphan Black has really resonated quite a bit in the in the LGBT community. Uh, and, and, you know, the actor who plays Felix has talked a lot about, you know, his portrayal and, and, and the, the great amount of feedback he's gotten. Uh, and if you folks want to talk about how that's kind of come, you've become aware of that as you've mo- got more and more into the show, maybe uh, throw it out to you first, Kyle. I actually, um, I'm not 100% aware of, of uh, Felix's, like I know like Felix does a huge part for the LGBT community in the show, um, but I'm not aware of what Jordan Gavaris has done um, in terms of speaking about it and speaking about his role with the LGBT community. Um, so if anyone else wants to take that, I'd be more than happy to like learn about what he's said and what he's done. But, um, yeah, recently I haven't heard anything. Maybe I've just been out of the loop though. Well, I know from, uh, some of the interviews that I, that I read with him and and saw and, uh, watching online on YouTube from some of the panels that he's done, um, he's gotten a lot of support from the, uh, LGBT community. 
But the funny thing he said is it's the non-LGBT uh, community that uh, is actually telling him that he's, he's doing a, a bad job. He's stereotyping uh, uh, a gay person and uh, he, he's being called out by the, the non-community for that. But uh, he, he came out and said that there, there is no stereotype. There's all sorts of different people in the uh, LGBT community. And he's, that's just one portrayal that he decided to, uh, to, to take and uh, in, embrace. And uh, uh, he just, he, he found it very funny that uh, it was from the non-community that he was getting the most, uh, most flack from. Yeah. We actually talked about, about some of that in a couple of the episodes that we've done and how really they've done such a good job in the show of avoiding making him a stereotype because they give him lots, they give his character lots of depth and avoid a lot of the tropes that shows tend to fall into. So, Yeah, like uh, he said in an interview, everybody is expecting uh, a, a gay man on TV to be the, the Will and Grace type of guy, uh, gay person, you know, wearing a suit, very proper. Um, they, they expect that type of gay. They don't expect to see the, the type of gay person that's going to be uh, basically he's prostituting himself off with other men. And, and it's not something you see on, on TV. So a lot of people, but again, it's funny that it's, it's not the LGBT community that's complaining about it. It's the, the straight community that's complaining about it. Which is, which I think is, is great and kind of hysterical because uh, I lived in the Castro for like all my life um, or not in Castro, but like in San Francisco all my life. And uh, I've gone to the Castro plenty of times and Felix is definitely an embodiment of several, several people in the Castro put together into one character, which is actually just a very realistic portrayal of what um, a lot of, a lot of people in the gay community are like. Um, without the stereotype which is great and so i can totally see the straight people being like that's like wrong you're stereotyping while the gay community is like no let's like go to the cash row you'll see felix is like 100 percent what <laughs> what it's like yeah i think personally as a viewer the the and i think mocker was you touched on it the depth that that character's been able to get the actor brings out and the writing puts on the page for him is wonderful because it's it's a character regardless of background that you get to really identify with and and he just totally lives and breathes it. So, I mean, that's one of the things I saw in the interview with him is is that he really appreciated how much he could own it. And, and you know, certainly there's some flamboyant side to it that a lot of people might uh, see at first look. But the depth of it, especially if you do a rewatch of the episodes to realize how integral he is to things, it's just wonderful to see a show that's not totally dependent on, obviously, a very brilliant lead doing so many roles, but the fact that the, the drop-off, which occurs on a lot of shows from the lead to the other folks, isn't really here. I mean, Felix really holds his own as a character, and the actor portraying him, I think, really comes across. Mm -hmm. For sure. I remember, I think, um, actually, on like one of the first episodes of Orphan Black Chat, Kyle, you had said that when you first saw Felix, you were thinking, oh, no, here's another stereotypical gay character that they're just going to mess up, and they don't. And I think that what's neat about orphan black is they're able to add the LGBT aspects of things without making it like a main part of the show. It's just sort of there, which is great because that's how society is becoming. Now they're just becoming more accepting of it. Exactly. That's, you know what I mean? So with like uh, Delphine Cosima and Felix, it's just their aspects of the show, but it's not the focus of the show. So it's a good reflection of society today, I think. And that Felix isn't the only one because they've got, you know, Colin is there as a recurring character and isn't like Felix at all, really. Yes. So. And exactly. season two, we may see some more characters. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we get to some of the season two uh, speculation and stuff, uh, maybe uh, as a wrap up question for season one, for all of you is, is obviously a great first season, some wonderful stuff, but I'm very curious to hear from each of you. Maybe what was your favorite either episode or moment or scene you know, if you think about the show, what just pops right to the front of your mind? Mark, you want to take that one first? It has to be the the final moment of the season. I, I've seen the episode probably six times, watched it originally, then I watched it again with my family, uh, then I watched it with a friend that I introduced it to, and then I've watched it a couple of times on my podcast. And no matter how much I know it's coming, that scene at the end when Sarah goes into the house and she isn't there and she screams out the window, I can't help. It's like my whole body tenses up at that. And 
I know it's coming, but I just can't help myself that the and go, going the other way on the comedic scene i absolutely love the scene with uh, helena and sarah in the diner with uh, helena and the jello not i just think that's that's a, a classic scene so um i always laugh at, the, at that scene no matter how many times i see it i just love the way the look on uh, helena's face whenever she looks under the table to see the knife sticking to her leg looks back up looks under again i, I just love that scene so those two extremes the one that i think is really funny and the other one that just gets me every time. I would agree with that. The scene in the diner, I think, is a great example of Tatiana's acting ability uh, when she's playing Helena there. I think it's one of her shining moments in season one. I think my favorite scene is the Allison and Donnie glue gun scene. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) She's, She's convinced that he is her monitor. And oh, if she only knew she was on the right track. Goodness. No. I think I have to go, I'm just going to cheat and go with episode eight because <laughs> episode eight the is whole just, episode. it's like an emotional roller coaster, that episode. And it ends on the most horrifying note of yep. kind of the entire series. And I'm telling you, every time one of my friends watches that, I know when they get to the end of episode eight because they send me a message in all caps and they're just kind of like, why are you making me watch this? I can't believe that just happened. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tatiana, when she's, uh, she has such an amazing ability to portray grief so much more like you see in, uh, in a lot of TV shows and movies, when somebody is grief stricken, um, they do a good job, but you feel it with her when she was in the hospital and they, they, uh, they pull Kira in and they basically say, you can't fall. And they shut the door on her. The look on her face was very similar to the, the, the face she did. And as I said, in the very last episode and you look at her and you feel it's real. Um, I, I don't know how she can pull it off. Uh, I don't know how you can act that persuasive to, to, to show that grief. Yeah, this, it's the wonderful thing about the show. You can go from some wonderful comedy to some amazingly dramatic performances. Just goes to show you why there's so much there for us to enjoy as viewers. All right, well, from here we're going to kind of talk a little bit about season two. We're not going to get spoilery again. Maybe a little bit of teasy speculation, things like that. So um, let's start off since uh, they've been doing such a great job of biting their lip. Let's let Ben and Kyle maybe talk a little bit about that, (laughs) of what they've seen Uh, so far in a very non-spoilery way. Yes, very non-spoilery. Don't worry. You don't have to mute or pause. Um, Did you have any things? Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, we've had a lo- the opportunity, um, and we're very lucky to be able to watch the first episode of season two. And the first episode, you guys are gonna, going to love it. And um, a lot of people have been questioning whether or not the second season um, can kind of stay as hyped up as the first season. Um, and the way that the second episode ends is just like the way any other Open Black episode ends in the past. Uh, it stops, and you're like, your jaws on the floor, and you're like. What what what? Um, it's great. And yeah. when I was after so I watched things. it, um, since I binge watched season one, I was used to just watching the next episode after I finished one. <laughs> and so I watched the first episode of season two, and I'm like, okay, next episode. Oh wait, I can't watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta wait with everybody else. Um, and I will say that you guys um are all going to love every character. Um, they uh I I wrote an article on hypable.com which is the website that i write for um and i give you five spoiler free teases which um if would you guys be up for me giving us the spoiler free teases well, if they're spoiler free go for it yeah okay sure. and um i promise you won't get spoiled um the five teases are i was finding the article to kind of make my way to it um there's plenty of kofi in action so anyone who likes uh delphine and Kasima you will be happy. Uh, Felix is wearing some naughty clothes. Um, and it's, it's pretty hilarious and it's pretty sexy. Um, Allison's Allison-ness goes to a whole new level. So whatever you're expecting, you probably won't be expecting it. Um, Sarah kicks a major ass in a couple of different epic ways. And as I said earlier, the ending will have you begging for episode two. So you guys are going to love it. That's, that's one thing about Orphan Black that I, I found and I tell people it's not 10 episodes. It's one big, long season because the episode, every episode, uh, when I do, I, in my podcast, I do an episode recap 
And almost every recap starts with the, the show starts exactly where the last episode left off. And literally like a lot of the episodes would be like within a seconds of where we left off the previous episode. So you could, it's very binge watchable because everything just flows into each other. Um, unlike a lot of other shows on TV where there'd be a lot of time in between the episodes and stuff. There's very little of that in Orphan Black. I think there's only two, maybe three episodes where there might be an hour or two that take place uh, between the finish of one episode and the start of the next one. Yeah, that's sort of like when I think Chris was saying earlier, like episode eight or like episode three doesn't, I have to think about what that is for a second whenever I hear it because it's all just one big episode to me, really just one big season of one long story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been rewatching season one as a lead up to season two for our podcast. And my co-host Stephanie, after I think either the second or third episode, basically was calling me a monster for making her wait a week to watch the <laughs> next episode. It's like, why are you doing this to me? Because she she binge watched the first season. So And what's what's going to be interesting is that uh John Fawcett and Graham Mason did an interview recently where they said that they're not interested in time jumps. Um so maybe not until like even past the third season is when they'll start thinking about possibly doing a time jump. But for um currently like everything is going to line up perfectly. Uh, so yes, uh, we won't have to worry about them jumping ahead five years, like Desperate Housewives or Friends or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think it Thank makes goodness. it a lot easier to stay in character for the actors too, because they're just acting one continuous story and not having to worry about maybe changing an emotion because it's much later than the last scene that they filmed or something like that. Yeah. And the great thing about this show too is is it's short; it's only ten episodes, and it plays for ten straight weeks, no breaks, no hiatuses, or all that. So you don't have to wait. You don't finish an episode and have to wait two or three weeks for the next thing. You know the next week you're going to get it. Uh, unfortunately, it's only 10 episodes. So when the 10 episodes are done, you've got almost a year to wait for the next episode of the next season. But that's... Uh, that's Could the, be worse. Could yeah. be Sherlock, three episodes per season. Yeah, two years. Yeah. Every two. Well, I think a lot of folks are going to enjoy it, as we know, since the fandom is growing quite a bit that... Uh, while it will be tough going week to week now since so many of us kind of binge-watched it, it's also going to create the great time for us as podcasters to be talking about it, to let uh, the fans at least be getting that thought and, and playing the speculation game leading between episodes a lot more than uh, since not as many people knew about it in season one. So that's mm -hmm. a burden we'll all have to carry. <laughs> now, season one, certainly, you know, we had a lot of focus naturally on on it you know, exposing us to the concepts of of the cloning and a little bit on the evolution side of what was happening and, and the whole, you know, survival of the fittest for some of the cast <laughs> and uh, the story as a whole. But season two, certainly now it's time that you've got a show that's, that's, that's found its legs, it's got an audience, and it's time, like a lot of shows, to get a little more maybe cerebral or start looking at philosophies of things. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, kind of where... Even with Ben and Kyle having seen the first episode, where you expect a lot of it to go, maybe based on what you've read or whatever, or and this is more speculation, not spoilers, of what you're hoping to kind of see and where it might go. Chris, you want to start first? Oh, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Watching the first season week to week, I kind of never was able to guess what was going to happen next. And so... I kind of always said when we started the podcast that I wasn't going to speculate about plot lines because I'd just be wrong and it would be hilarious. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see what they're going to do. But could I tell you? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I, I think that, uh, well, not that I think I've read that season two um, is going to talk a lot more about, the, we're going to find out a lot more about the science uh, behind and um, the morality behind the whole thing on, on the whole cloning issue. There's, I mean, we found out at the end of season one that uh, not only are there clones, but they've got a, a patent that they're, they're considered property. And, uh, season two, from what I've read, is going to deal a lot on the, the philosophical implications of that on, on whether or not some, a, a living being can be owned or, or, or can it be considered property. From what I've read, I don't know how they're going to do that or what paths they're going to take for that but that's what i read season two is going to deal a lot with i think um it's going to be it's going to be hitting you a lot more emotionally um 
season two, and this is not me because I've seen the first episode, but it's purely speculation is I, th- I think um, se- the second season is really going to, it's going to delve into the emotions of Mrs. S and what she knew and hiding that from Sarah and Cosima having to deal with this respiratory problem while Daphine is trying to help her. And Allison still struggling with the fact that she killed Ainsley and she's still trying to live this perfect life uh, with the fact that she's also signed the contract with the Dyad Institute. So I think it's all going to be way more emotional, uh, whereas the first season was more action based and and shooting and and clones getting killed and everything and i think the second season's just going to be far more emotional and maybe uh there's still action but i think there's still going to be far more of the uh internal struggles with our characters even felix is going to have to deal with a couple of internal struggles that he's facing with his sister so that's what i think it's going to be and that's what i hope yeah and i would agree i would think that like season one was a lot of exposition and we're really getting to know the characters. And now season two, we're going to be more emotionally attached to them and what they're going through. And they'll have much more opportunity for different storylines now that they've introduced them sufficiently. Yeah. Yes. Now that you love them, watch them suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. See, and that's the thing with season one, as, as said, you, we, we took so much time to get to know the characters. We don't have to do that in season two. And even though season one, we had to take that time to build the characters, to, to invest in the characters, they were still able to put so much in every episode. I couldn't get over, like when I was doing my rewatch for the podcast, I, I couldn't get over how much they packed in to a 42 minute period. It, it was so amazing. So now that we don't have to get the big character building, except for maybe some new characters were introduced how much more are they going to pack into that 42 minutes? It's just uh, season two is going to be a, uh, well, as uh, was stated there, season two is going to be season one on crack. So it's going to be quite something. Definitely a very well-written show. Oh yes, for sure. And just to build a little bit on what you were saying there, Mark, as you said, we, we kind of know our characters there from season one, but I'm sure we're going to have new ones in season two uh, to add to the mix. So I'm sure that's going to create a new dynamic. I, I Again, not being spoilery, but uh, we have seen some information being uh, you know, shared out so far on some of those new characters. Anyone want to kind of touch on some things they're very intrigued by there that they've uh, read or maybe Ben or Kyle a little bit on what we might get a tease there in that first episode? Um, I think it's uh, trying not to spoil you guys at all because um, what, I think you won't have to worry as much about um, who these new people are so much in the first in the in the first episode of season two. The first episode um, deals greatly with the aftermath of season one. So, um, but I think in general, season two is going to be very interesting because because of the introduction of of Henrik, like uh, the guy who leads the Prolethians, like he's going to be in season two, and the introduction of Cal, who we don't know much of, but this outdoorsy man person, you know, I think those guys are going to play some major roles in the season. And I love the fact that they're introducing people, but they're still not making it about them. They're making it all about the clones and the people we know. So I don't think we're going to have to deal with getting to know another character as much with the exception of Rachel. I think Rachel's the only character that we're going to have to start from scratch on with season two. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this a few times on Orphan Black Chat, or maybe once, but um, the clones are sort of consistent, or like Sarah, for example. Sarah's a very consistent character, but the whole universe is just changing around her, and she just adapts that change and stays just who she is throughout the whole thing. So it's definitely, there's definitely going to be a lot of stuff around the clones changing, but it'll be interesting to see if the, how the clones change as well throughout the season. Yeah, I'm sure all of us have got uh, our favorites and, uh, you know, interested to see where they might go. So uh, they've done such a great job allowing us to, to get attached that way. As as uh, Chris said, you know, now that we feel that way, they're probably going to rip our guts out. But <laughs> um, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, Peter Outerbridge joining the show. Um, out of all the new characters or casting that they've announced over the, the, the since season one, um, he's the only one that I've really that I really know. I, I saw him. I, I liked him on Nikita, but I I just loved uh, Peter when he was in uh, the TV show Regenesis. That's where I first met him, and uh, I absolutely love what he did to that character. So I'm really looking forward to see what he does with uh, his character Henrik on Orphan Black. 
And the, the other new one that I don't know anything about, but for some reason I'm intrigued, is there's a character called Marion who's played by uh, Michelle Forbes, who, from what I remember, won't be shown till I think it's like episode six, seven, or eight, like towards the end of the season. And all it said in the description was that she's a member of the Dyad Institute, and she kind of has an overhead view of the war between Sarah and Rachel. And just that description was was intriguing to me. Like, what what part does she have, and what's this? What's going to happen between Sarah and Rachel in the season? So I was very excited about that. Even though I don't know what the character is going to be, I was just excited about that part. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Michelle Forbes too because Michelle Forbes is awesome and has the capacity to be genuinely terrifying. So. Mm. absolutely she just talk about making you sit up and pay attention she has that ability well before we kind of wrap things up i just want to kind of again go around the virtual table here if there are any other closing thoughts or or, you know specific points or things you want to kind of throw out to anyone here we'll kind of make a kind of open topic there for you Uh, maybe mark anything you want to kind of share well um one thing i wanted to the the actress who plays uh kira um what's her name sky skyler i can't remember her name wexler wexler thank you as far as child actors go she is uh, amazing the the she often has a very blank look on her face but it's so believable and just the the emotions and the way she portrays she talks and communicates with the other characters um i just found that for a young actor, because a lot of times young actors in shows, they're, they're unbelievable because of their inexperience. But I found that she was very believable in the role of Kira. Agreed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Kira, with child actors, um, you always have the chance where they can't act and they've just got a child because they're adorable. And with Kira, it's not the case at all. Kira is astounding. Um, just the fact that they could find such a young actress who can play her role so well it just amazes me. And is also adorable. <laughs> yes of course it, it makes me wonder though as uh, I forget how old is she 10 years old 11 years old or something like that um, like in real life it makes me wonder how much of the script are they actually showing her or is she only getting her little parts and does she know what the story like the overall story is for, at, at her age I wouldn't think so but I don't know I would That's hope not you gotta think she'll watch this like 10 years from now and maybe like she'll still be like seeing it for the first time like we all are now like she maybe at some point she'll get to watch the show and not really know the whole story until she sees it like that'd be kind of cool speaking about this just a thought just popped into my head here um i don't know how it was i see i watch it in canada i don't know how you guys were in the states i found orphan black was really strange because the first i think it was four episodes in canada here were rated pg-14 then, starting, I think, with episode five on, they were rated R, um, which I found really strange because I started watching the series with my 14-year-old daughter and my wife, and it wasn't until we got to episode five, and all of a sudden, they changed the rating to rating to, to R, and I was telling my daughter, it's like, okay, you shouldn't be watching this, and she goes, well, I've already watched the first four episodes, so there was that dilemma, and I just thought that was really strange, so I don't know if they did that in the States, but I know in Canada, they, they switched the rating of the sh- series halfway through. That's really interesting. I don't think I've noticed that in the States here at all. I did yeah. notice that. I think it was the iTunes has the, the ratings on the episodes. And I noticed episode, I think it was maybe nine or something, had the M rating on it instead of the TV 14. So I think it varied from episode to episode here. And I can't figure out what the what the the method of deciding that would be. I, I really don't know. Although I think it's weird now that you mention it, if if it changed to episode five, the first episode, there's like a really blatant graphic sex scene. Yeah. With yeah. naked yeah. behinds oh, and everything. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Which I remember they edited when they aired the day long marathon. So I was wondering, did, did it was like yeah, 11 a.m. here. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> people don't want to wake up at 11 a.m. to a graphic sex scene on a kitchen counter. <laughs> oh, the scene was still there, but they, I think they either cut parts of, cut certain shots or cropped them differently so that <laughs> there were no naked behinds at 11 a.m. That's uh, got to make it tough to watch with kids. Like if parents are watching it with their kids and the rating changes and they might think, oh, well, the first few episodes have been fine. But then like obviously the rating is there for a reason. So it's got to make it tough for yeah. some situations. Well, we made the decision, my, do- my daughter, we just sat down and there wasn't really anything that we had to um I mean, there was a few things my wife and I talked to her about afterwards, but 
But uh, we've always been very strict with that sort of stuff. She's 14 years old, but no, she's not watching something that's for 18-year-olds. But in this case, we, we let her watch it just because she had already started. She had watched half the series, so we just let it go. All right. Well, we've covered quite a bit here. We hope you folks really enjoyed this discussion. We're all very excited, obviously, looking forward to season two. We're going to have some great discussions on the uh, different podcasts here. So before we do leave you, we're going to let each person uh, kind of mention their uh, you know website and a little social media link if you want to follow any of these podcasts or folks there uh, so you can okay. get involved. Sorry, Kevin, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Sure. We're doing an Orphan Black Roundtable, and we not we didn't bring up Tatiana or her performance at all. And uh, I think that would be a crime. <laughs> so, um, I, just, I just want to mention how incredible uh, an actress she is and how she, she can portray these characters to be so believable to the point that when I watched the conversation that or aired uh, this past Saturday and when uh, Evelyn was talking, uh, the, the actress who plays Delphine, and she was talking about when she works with Tatiana and she looked over at Tatiana. In my mind, I immediately clicked, says, that's not who you work with. You work with, with Cosima. And it's just for, for that to happen subconsciously where I think that's not, the, that's not who you work with. It just goes to show what a good job Tatiana is doing in portraying these clones and, uh, that she should get the recognition um, from the uh, the higher-ups in all these different awards and all that. She should be recognized for what she's bringing to this show. Absolutely. Totally agree. Definitely. Yeah, it's yep. it's something, you know, I, I don't think many folks truly appreciate just how good she is at it uh, and, until we get a, uh, maybe a little bit further away from it uh, because of, of the great job that she's done. I certainly think for, for me... And I've tried to point it out to some other folks who, for example, I've loaned those DVDs to. Once you've seen it, to look at some of those behind-the-scenes features, to just look at the amount of work that goes into those scenes that there's two or three of her, so to speak, and how her as an actress is literally oftentimes acting against a blank wall or something else. I mean, that's the, the amount of focus that must take is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think Clone Club is well aware of, of her amazing abilities. They know that we've got something special. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. We as a fandom. <laughs> yeah, so as I take possession of Tatiana Maslany on behalf of fandom, which is weird <laughs> and awkward, and I'm regretting it now. But <laughs> but I think everybody knows what I mean, right? For sure. And that's yes. probably why, Mark, we didn't really go down that specific discussion. All, all of us already know just how brilliant she is, so we were trying to find yes. something else to talk about. <laughs> I think it would have made a better uh, discussion if anyone thinks that her acting is complete crap, because then I'd be like, okay, Explain that fighting words. <laughs> I, would have, I would have just hung up on you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, like we said, with all this great discussion, I'm sure many of you who are listening want to know where you can stay up on a lot of this. So we'll let each person kind of go around the virtual table. Uh, if you want to mention your website or podcast and maybe a social media link uh, to be able to uh, follow these folks and stay engaged all season long. So why don't we uh, go ladies first, Chris? Uh, you can find me at TatianaIsEveryone.com or on Twitter at T-I-E Podcast. Ben and Kyle? Um, so you can find Orphan Black Chat on Twitter and Tumblr, which is uh, twitter.com forward slash Orphan Black Chat or orphanblackchat.tumblr.com. Um, you can also find any um, coverage that I do for Orphan Black on hypable.com. If uh, you want to follow my personal Twitter, it is uh, a bunch of consonants for some reason. It's a T-R-Q-H-Z. Um, and I actually think uh, you guys... Even everyone here at the podcast uh, at the roundtable might get a kick out of the interview that I did with um, Catherine Alexandri, who plays Tatiana Maslany's um, uh, acting double on Orphan Black. So when, like you said, uh, Kevin, um, or I forget if it was Mark or Kevin that said it, uh, when Tatiana's acting against a blank wall, she's also acting. Um, she also has to do a couple of scenes with an acting double whose job is to completely memorize every move that Tatiana makes in a role, in a scene, and play it back to her so that she can um, accurately portray her clones and, and get the timing all right. And she's a really astounding lady, and we actually have an interview with her on our podcast, if you guys want to check that out as well. Yeah, actually, Kyle, I did listen to that interview. It was a great interview. I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, me too. Good job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Great work. Uh, you can also find me at Orphan Black Chat on Twitter and Tumblr. All the 
ones that Kyle mentioned. Uh, you can find me on Twitter personally at Ben underscore Holmquist. That's H-O-L-M-Q-U-I-S-T. And you can find my personal blog at BenjaminHolmquist.com. And uh, you could find me at Solotalkmedia.com. That's for The Orphan Black Podcast. I do most of my communicating on Twitter at Solotalkmedia and also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Solotalkmedia. Excellent. Great stuff there, folks. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the opening, our, our podcast is uh, Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV.com will cover all genre shows, including Orphan Black. So if you'd like to sample those, feel free to check us out there. Well, folks, I think that's going to wrap us up. This has been a ton of fun. Appreciate you all listening. And uh, those of you here on the roundtable, it's been great. Hope everybody has a great time with Season 2. Take care, gang. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.